Thanks for tuning in to Accented. This episode is not scripted, and it's for English learners who want to listen to real conversations. Each week, I interview a new guest who has a distinct English accent. On today's episode, I'll be speaking with Brendan, who lives in Montreal, Canada, and he is the host of the YouTube channel Master Talk. Hello, and thanks for joining me for another episode of Accented. If you're new to the series, welcome and go and have a look at our previous episodes. So, we are one episode off Accented's one year anniversary. So, I've been doing this for one year. I can't believe it. And it's crazy. I can't believe how many people are listening to it all over the world. So thank you. Send me a note. Um, I'd love to hear where you're listening from. My next guest, Brendan, messaged me and asked if he could come on the show. So I checked out his YouTube videos, uh, Master Talk, which are brilliant. And as I watched it, I thought, oh, okay, this is another American accent. And I was completely wrong. As I've said before, I find it very difficult to tell the difference between an American and a Canadian accent. However, he is from the French part of Canada, which is called Quebec. Now, I was going to be moving to Quebec as my long-time listeners have heard. I was on my way to Montreal and Montreal is a bilingual city, uh, Seeing that it is part of Quebec, most of the people predominantly speak French as French is the language that is the official language of the city. However, a lot of people from Montreal also speak English. There are some parts in Quebec where people don't even speak English. They only speak French. So it's quite fascinating, Canada, how they have two official languages and some people only speak English and some people only speak French. Brendan is trilingual and he uses that word in the show, trilingual, which actually means he can speak three languages comfortably and those three languages he can speak practically the same. So it's like when somebody is bilingual, they can speak two languages just as well as each other. And it's the same with being trilingual. And as the interview goes on, he mentions the languages, which are English, Tamil and French. Now, Tamil is a language from Sri Lanka. And Sri Lanka is a little island south of India. And Brendan told us that his parents immigrated to Canada when he was very young. Before we start the interview, I just want to go through some vocabulary that Brendan used. He said this phrase, tone it down, and he was talking about his accent. Now, if you were to say to somebody to tone it down, uh, you can use that with many things. If I were to go out to a restaurant and I wear lots of bright clothing, my husband might say to me, can you tone it down for tonight? So that means don't be so flashy. Don't be so bright with what you're going to wear. It's the same with your accent. 
If you want to tone it down, that means you try and have a more neutral accent. Um, Naturally, as an English teacher, I have toned down my Australian accent. And a lot of people that I meet actually say to me that they can't hear too much of the Australian accent. I'm sure there are people out there who are very good who can hear it clearly, yet some people, uh, usually second language speakers, find it hard to pick uh, my nationality, I guess, because I tone it down a little bit. What was interesting is that Brendan said that he what helped his pronunciation in many languages is karaoke. Now, karaoke is an activity. It's a singing activity, basically. So you go to a restaurant or a bar or anywhere that has a karaoke machine. It could even be in your own house. And you play songs without singing, uh, without somebody singing the lyrics. And you sing the lyrics and the little words come up on the screen on the computer or on the TV screen and that is karaoke. You sing whatever song comes on. It's time to enjoy the interview. I am speaking with Brendan who is the host of a YouTube channel called Master Talk. Welcome, Brendan. Thanks for having me on, Kim. It's great to be here. Yes, thank you so much. And I have seen your videos and it's funny because we've just been chatting and I thought, I'm sorry, I thought you may have been from the United States of America and then I found out that you're from Canada and you're actually in Montreal where I was going to move to. Yeah, it is odd and it's great that you're going to move here so we can't wait to welcome you. It's going to be cool. I know, but you don't sound like you're from Montreal. You don't sound like you're from Quebec. Yeah, mais quand on parle français, you know, we change our language. It makes makes it more obvious that way. So, Montreal, I think that's how I'm supposed to pronounce it. It's Montreal. Montreal. There you, you go. Why is your so I I don't know what to define your accent as. I'm going to say Canadian or Quebecois, but you sound it doesn't sound like you've got a French accent. You're right. So I do have a Quebecer accent, but the what happened was I was able to tone it down over the years uh, and to, to kind of have like a medium accent so that when I speak French and I switch languages, I don't actually have an accent that a lot of my Quebecer friends do. Is that something you've worked on? Absolutely. It's, it's definitely taken a long time. To, and the trick, and this is kind of like a, a, a random side note to I guess start the conversation. The way I did it is by karaokeing in eight different languages. So I, a fun fact about me is I speak three languages, so English, French, and Tamil, but I can also karaoke in five others, Mandarin, Japanese, Hindi, Spanish, and uh, Korean. So, but I don't speak those languages, Kim. So what happens is because I'm pronouncing words that I don't understand, it's much easier for me to pronounce. So let's say I, I say hi in Korean, which is nasio, or hi, how are you in Japanese, which is konnichiwa, genki desu ka. Notice how in, as I switch languages, there's no accent in any of the languages I'm speaking in because it's just trained that way. Okay. So is that why, was that an idea for Master Talk because of your love of languages? 
<laughs> that's a good guess, actually, but uh, not necessarily. What what happened was when I was in university, I used to do these things called case competitions. So think of it like uh, professional sports, but for nerds. So other guys my age were like playing on rugby teams or watching foot college football games. I did the same thing, but with presentations. So I would watch a lot of universities give presentations. This is like a thing. So just to give an example, since you're based in Australia, the University of Melbourne and UNSW are very big um, case competitor schools. So the University of North South Wales, a lot of those university students actually fly out to Montreal every year. Their university funds their travel expenses, their entry fee for the competition, which is $10,000 to enter, just to present PowerPoint slides. Wow. I went to UNSW. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I never knew they did that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a very it's like a subculture within a subculture. It's mostly just actually it's only uh, business students, and that's actually why I know so many people in Australia and around the world because I just meet them at these competitions. And obviously, Aussie people are really nice, so so uh, so I have to definitely come visit sometime and go meet everyone that I competed with for four years. Oh, thank you, and that's you know what I. All the Canadians I know, I like. They're very kind people. So it's um, that's why we wanted to move there. <laughs> no, it's definitely a great choice. I mean, uh, I, 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 definitely, uh, I definitely agree. That's why I've never left the city and I still live with my mother. I just don't want to move anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool. And another, as I was researching Montreal – um, it's very multicultural. We say Australia is multicultural, but yet I've read Mo- Montreal is the most multicultural city in Canada. Is that correct? It would be. So I would say many of them are, but but definitely Montreal and Toronto stand out to me as the most multicultural. At home, you grew up speaking Tamil. Is that correct? Exactly. You got it exactly, and then um, so how so how Montreal works for those who are listening is if your parents are first generation immigrants or they did not go to an English schooling system, there's this law in the country in the province, excuse me, called Law 101, or as we say in French, La Loi 101. And how what the the law stipulates is for every person who wasn't educated in English, their children has to get educated in French. So that's where my public speaking journey started because I studied my whole life in French, which means not only was I uncomfortable with presentations, I actually had to give presentations in a language I didn't know because I didn't know how to speak French. So you can imagine how nervous I was for the first 15 years of my life presenting. And that's why I'm so passionate about public speaking. Because after I mastered it in English and I brought it back to the French language, I was able to, to make better videos on the topic. That's really interesting. That's cool. So what kind of people are watching your videos? What do they get from your videos? Yeah, definitely. Definitely a wide range, I would say, Kim. So I have seven-year-olds watching this stuff, people in Indonesia, CEOs, tech executives, teachers, educators, really anybody who wants to make a difference in the world but can't afford a speech coach. So so I would say pretty much everybody. <laughs> Right. So it's to help gain confidence in public speaking. You got it. So so if you think about all of the content right now or the knowledge that we have about public speaking, it's generally pretty bad. So let's say you go on a YouTube video, they would say things like, 
keep eye contact, but what does that mean? Or think about your audience, but what does that mean? Or get up on stage. Well, that's not really concrete advice. Like it's just motivational. So there wasn't somebody who was tackling some of the technical elements of presentations. So I can give you an example here. For some reason, a lot of us like to compare public speaking to death and how the fear of public speaking is only comparable to death. But when you look at that from, from an overview, from just a general point of view, if you want to inspire people to, to get on stage, if you want to inspire people to take that risk, to take a chance, the last thing you want to do is compare it to death. So I just found that there's a lot of things that I didn't like about the existing content. So I wanted to do something about it. So what what's some advice you would give to people who don't want to get up and speak? Yeah, so I think I think the first step that we can start this conversation off with is this whole idea of where public speaking fear comes from. Right? Where where does all this nervousness come from? Why are we whether we live in Australia, Canada, the United States, anywhere around the world, why are we all for some reason scared of this? And I believe the answer to that question lies in the classroom because the vast majority of our presentations are given in that space. We don't wake up one morning and say, hey, Kim, do you want to get breakfast and present all day? Like, that's just not a thing, right? We're in high school together. History teacher comes up to us, says, I need you to to do a presentation on the Renaissance. And you're sitting there thinking, is this like a fruit? And then you find out later that the time period in history. And in that school curriculum, three things tend to happen. One, the student never gets to pick the subject or the topic, so we never get to pick. B, students don't care about the presentation, not because they don't care about us, but because they're worried about their own presentation because they got to go in 10 minutes. And then the teachers, who are usually very well-educated, very well-intentioned, are also very stressed because they have 30 presentations, 40 presentations to go through in two classes. They don't have time to sit down everyone one-on-one for 10 minutes and coach them on public speaking. So if we're presenting all the time to topics we don't enjoy, to students who don't care to hear us, and to teachers who are too stressed to coach us, no wonder we're scared of public speaking because this behavior gets perpetuated in history, arts, English, sciences, music, gym, on and on and on. We're led to believe that public speaking is a responsibility, a chore, rather than something we want to do that makes a difference. Okay, so then how do you prepare? Because as an English teacher, I do have to do speaking uh, evaluations of my students. How do you get them to relax or to enjoy it when they know that it's something that they have to do? Yeah. So good point. So what I do with the kids that I coach is, is I, as I look at it from a completely different lens, which is how do we create an environment for them to see public speaking as a difference maker, as a way to make a change, as a way to get excited. So the first thing that I have all my kiddos do is I let them pick the topic. So for instance, in my class, there's probably seven-year-olds all the way up to 16-year-olds. They're all studying together in one Zoom call. And the seven-year-old talks about her first day at school because that's what she finds exciting. And there's another 14-year-old who's really passionate about calligraphy. So that's just doing your presentation on. But the difference in that environment, Kim, is what I make them do after is I actually make them present the same presentation over and over again until it's perfect. Because the mistake that we make in, in, I guess, just the way that the curriculum is designed is let's say we give a presentation. The second we give it, we always throw it in the garbage and move on to the next one. But that's not how we learn a new skill normally. Let's say when you learn, let's say, piano or something, what we would do 
is sure we could play 50 different songs but we're better off playing the same song 50 times until the song is perfect so what i usually recommend educators to think about is creating what i like to call a repeatable presentation because that's how you increase the confidence of how kids perceive presentations as they see themselves get better over time with the same stuff yeah that's really interesting it's it's something yeah to think about because i guess yeah you do do it once and then you go yeah it's over i I don't have to do that again exactly and and that goes back to this whole idea and how kids and this applies for everybody not just kids i coach it executives and ceos with the same methodology and the same practice drills actually as i do with kids in the same sense of you want to keep presenting the same thing over and over again. Because if you present 50 different presentations, you're always asking yourself the same question, which is, what, what, like, what, what, what content should I put in this thing? And that's it, right? You put the content and you go on Wikipedia, you're done. But if you're presenting the same thing 25 times or 50 times or 100 times, the questions you're asking yourself are very different. Like, how, what emotions am I conveying in each slide? What kind of analogies can I use to engage a group of seven-year-olds, to a group of 14-year-olds, to a group of 21-year-olds? How am I coming off? I should probably watch a recording of myself to see how I'm doing. And those different types of questions lead to different types of insights, which make us exponentially better at presentations. There's many kids in my class that are seven years old that are way better than a lot of the CEOs I coach. And I'm not even exaggerating when I say that, just by following the simple framework. Okay. So you give lessons online or do you go in uh, like are you hired by companies and you go and work with employees that way? Yeah, I would say it's a mix of the two. Um, so most of the kids is, is usually my, uh, my, my clients as kids. So let's say, uh, let's say I'm coaching the CEO of X company. Uh, I also coach their kid. <laughs> I will definitely put your show in the show's notes so that people can go and watch, have a listen to your advice. Now, how were you as um, a child giving speeches at school? Just absolutely horrible. Picture me in grade two. I'm eight years old, and I'm walking up in front of my classroom, and my, t- my teacher goes, well, Brendan, say something. And I'm looking at her and say, I can't speak French. <laughs> so. So uh, it, it was. It was really. It was frankly traumatizing. I would say as a kid because I would s- stand up there. I mean, I, we can all relate to how stressed we are when we present a language we actually do know. But I don't think many of us can relate to to presenting in a, a language we don't know. Think think of waking up in the morning and and your boss comes up to you and says, "Hey, Kim, can you give this presentation today in Japanese?" And you're said, "Wait, what? What? Nobody? <laughs> what's happening?" I so know. Uh, so. So basically, I sucked. I think that's a good way. I sucked for a very long time until uh, until I came to university. And then when I started competing in case competitions and I met, you know, the UNSW students and all the other amazing students around the world, I started got, getting a lot better at communication very quickly. So when did you start learning English then? If you were speaking to Mal at home and French at school, when did English come in? Yeah, it's, a, it's an insightful question. Before I started kindergarten in French, I went to daycare and preschool in English. So when I was two years old, uh, three years old, I mean, three and four years old, I went to an English, um, I went to a small English daycare before I started officially. And in those two years, I picked up English really quickly. And I would practice it at home with my dad and my sister. 
uh, with, well, actually maybe not my sister because she wasn't born yet, but over time in the household. And so uh, that's how I picked up the language, but I never studied English until I went to college. Okay. So I'm inferring here that your parents immigrated to Canada and they obviously were speaking to Mal. They, they spoke English fluently as well. Yeah, my dad was very fluent in English, but my mom was, uh, she's halfway, halfway. She can have a conversation today, but she's not uh, perfect at it for sure. So then why did they choose Montreal to go to if that was then an added language for them to learn? That's a good question. I actually don't know. I think I think it's because that's that's probably a question I have to bring back to my mom. <laughs> no one's, I never even ever asked myself that question. But but uh, from what I believe, um, based on what I know, is most of the of people who come to Canada from Sri Lanka um, who speak Tamil end up moving to Toronto because that's where most of the community is. And I think my dad's rationale is let's stay in Montreal or else we have to go to weddings every week. And I, that ended up being the case because a lot of my cousins in Toronto, they're always attending events all the time. And I guess my dad didn't want any of that. And I'm glad he made that decision. And and plus, it, it worked out for me because I ended up being trilingual in the process. Oh, completely. That is, I'm very envious of that. That's so cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and explaining your YouTube channel and all this advice for public speaking. I'm definitely going to use some of your videos with my students for sure when they've got – actually, they've got a speaking test um, in a few weeks. So, I will be referring to your videos. That's awesome. I really appreciate that, Kim. All right. Well, thank you so much, Brendan. Of course. My pleasure. All right. See you later. Bye. Take take care. Thanks for listening to another episode of Accented. I'm your host, Kimberly Law. Accented is released on the 15th and 30th of each month. If you'd like to find out more about me, please head to kimslawofenglish.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts, so don't forget to leave a review of the podcast or even a star rating. Speak to you soon.